Jesus wept. The shortest and most recognized and perhaps most memorized verse in the Bible implies a question. What does it mean to be human? There's a biblical scholar who says these two words, this short verse is at the heart, the emotional heart of the story that we've heard today. And implied in that, in that, in that central identification is that question, what does it mean to be human? It's surprising to encounter a question like this in the Gospel of John, to see Jesus behaving in such a human way. If you read the Gospel of John, beginning with verse 1, all the way through chapter 10, and even a little bit into chapter 11, the first few verses that are there, we would find a Jesus who is almost superhuman, above the fray, doesn't really get into the kind of particular feelings and emotions and experiences that we have. Jesus, in John's Gospel, very different from the Jesus we encounter in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he's wears a blood, sweat, and tears Jesus. He seems very human. Even in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus appears to be reluctant to uh, accept that he is the Messiah. In John, there's no reluctance. In the very first verse, John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is proclaiming here the divinity of Christ in the very first verse, all the way back to the beginning of time. And then the Jesus we encounter is very much in charge and in control. He's above the fray. He's almost superhuman with all that he does until we find him here in John 11, weeping with his friends, his very close friends, Mary and Martha, sisters of his friend Lazarus. He's weeping with his friends. He's weeping in the face of death. Suddenly we encounter not someone who's above the fray, but someone who is a human being, every bit as human as you or me, caught up in the finality of death. We find a Jesus who is complicated emotionally, complicated. Last couple of weeks, I've enjoyed watching the first two episodes in the new season of Ted Lasso. Have some of you been watching Ted Lasso a little bit? I see there's a few Ted Lasso fans out there. I I read a review about the first two episodes. No spoilers, so don't worry, I won't give anything away. But I love what this woman had to say. In her review of, of the series, of the first two episodes of season three, she said that it seems the theme is going to be that human beings are enormously complicated. She says later, we never know enough of any individual to know what their individual or private struggles may or may not be. I agree with her on both, both counts. Yes, I do think that is the theme for this, this new season of Ted Lasso, and I also believe it's true for us. Human beings are enormously complicated, and you and I never know enough about another to tell them how they ought to think or feel or how they should react or what they should do next in their lives. It's that complication that in many ways unites us. It's, a, it's, a, it's the complication that unites us with Jesus in this story. There's great truth there. Jesus is a human who weeps with his friends, weeps in the face of death, in the stench, you heard the text, in the stench of death. He weeps also 
because he knows somehow in the not too distant future his life will be taken. He weeps because he faces his own death. He faces all that that means. And he finds himself in a place where one scholar says, most of us live most of our lives in, in, that, in that tension between the hope of resurrection and the finality of death. Now, if you live, find yourself that you're living closer to the, to the hope of the resurrection, God bless you and good for you. I trust your faith is strong, but most of the people I've encountered in my life live somewhere in between. Not too far off the center, but somewhere in between. Between the hope of resurrection and the finality of death. I, I did a funeral many years ago for a woman who lived into her 90s. It was truly a celebration of a life well lived. She and her husband had been married almost 60 years. They had an amazing relationship, a very loving, kind, and gracious one. It was almost a, a fairy tale like marriage. Now, they had their rocky moments, their rough patches, their, their, their difficult uh, rapids to, to na navigate, but it was their love that always gave them the courage and the power they needed to face whatever the reality was before them. They traveled the world, they raised a, a family children who grew up to be very successful. It was amazing service, 60 minutes of joy and celebration, some laughter and some tears. Tears especially from her son who was sitting on the front row. In fact, he cried from almost the beginning all the way through the end. He wept real tears. When the music would rise, he would almost sob as the tears just poured down his cheeks. When the service was over, the family and a few of their closest friends and I went to the cemetery for the committal service where her casket would be buried. After the last words were spoken, I went over to her son, the one who wept through the service. I shook his hand. I was going to try to say something, but before I could say anything, he looked at me with the saddest eyes I've ever seen in my life. And he said, preacher, is this it? Is this all there is? Or is there a life to come? Is there a resurrection? Is there hope? Do I have any, do I have any hope in the life that is to come? I need faith, preacher. I need faith. Give me the words that will give me faith. He's there in that place of tension between the hope of the resurrection and the finality of death. I think that's what's happened to Jesus in this moment. Oh, he's very confident at the beginning of chapter 11. He's going to go and raise Lazarus. It's all going to be fine. Instead, he's caught in this moment, not just by the stench, but by the reality of it all, by the finality of it, by the weeping and the sorrow of his friends. He's, he's stuck in that place, in that tension-filled place, because he can see his own death loom, looming. He weeps with Mary and Martha, in their sorrow, he weeps in the face of death, and it's Fred Craddock, the great scholar, who says he calls Lazarus to come out so that he, Jesus, can go in to the tomb. He weeps there in that moment. Did, did you hear, did you hear the, the, the reading 
Early in the first reading, at the first part of the service, there was a line in there, he was greatly disturbed. Later in the second part of the reading, that line opened the second half of the reading, he was greatly disturbed. Now, when I was a little boy, we loved this story. Our Sunday school teachers loved to teach this story. In fact, uh, we presented a skit one Sunday morning in, in worship, the Sunday school class kids did, and I got to be Lazarus. I was wrapped from, from head to toe in toilet paper. <laughs> <clears throat> My mom made sure that I didn't smell, so that, that part was, was, was taken care of as, as well. It was great fun to, to do that. And we were also told in that lesson, I remember it to this day, that Jesus was greatly disturbed. Another text says he was greatly troubled, that he was disturbed or troubled or upset. Somebody even said angry because of all the people who might not go to heaven for believing the wrong things. And I remember thinking as a kid how wrong that was and think about how terrible that theology is. What a horrible thing to say to a child. Jesus is greatly disturbed by the finality of death, by the reality of, his, of the loss of his friend, by all that's about to come before him, by all that he has to face, what we call Holy Week, Passion Week, with his arrest, with, his, with the torture, his, his death on the cross. He somehow knows, I don't know how he knows, but he somehow knows, just as your spouse knows you better than anyone else, he knows, he just knows. that he's going to have an ordeal. And here in his most human moment in the Gospel of John, he is greatly disturbed. Fred Craddock, who I quoted a moment ago, also recognizes that this simple verse, as deeply poetic and beautiful and true that it is, is also the most portable. You can take it with you anywhere. Go to a bombed-out apartment building in Ukraine where families lived and loved, where meals were cooked, where laundry was completed, where love was given away, and right on the, on the broken-up walls of a former home, Jesus wept. Go to the dust-filled, debris-filled streets of towns and cities throughout the country of Turkey where a devastating earthquake took tens of thousands of lives and right in the dust with your finger, Jesus wept. Go to Mississippi where two nights ago a terrible tornado ripped through the town, destroying most of it, destroying lives and families and jobs and businesses all along the way in the middle of the night. Find a piece of, of, of metal that used to be the side of someone's home and write on it, Jesus wept. Come with me to a hospital room where my friends David and Brenda hold the lifeless body of their stillborn child and quietly write on the walls, Jesus wept. It's the most portable verse in the Bible. It's the verse we can take with us anywhere. Now I, now I recognize these are difficult emotions and feelings to face. Uh, it, it, there's a certain vulnerability that comes with paying attention to these sorts of realities in our lives, with the reality and the finality of, of death as we wrestle with it and sit in that tension. I know sometimes, trust me, I, these are the kind of sermons I, I want to preach uh, all the time. Uh, sometimes it's best just to come and, and preach a lighthearted sermon with a couple of cute stories, make everybody laugh, and have a poem at the end that helps us feel good, and then sing a song and, and get off, off to brunch and enjoy the day. Nothing wrong with that, but today, 
And so we encounter this text here in the season of Lent. Seasons of Lent is a time to confront ourselves, to ask who we are, to wonder if we can face our true feelings, if we can be vulnerable enough to do that. You know, Brene Brown has helped us understand that to be vulnerable is to have courage. It takes courage to face our true selves. I've read every one of her books, and I still wrestle with the courage to face that vulnerability. I've found in my own life, I'll just confess briefly, I've found in my own life that I often cover sad with mad. It's easier to be angry than it is to be sad for me. I'm not describing anyone else, just myself. Sometimes anxiety and fear and worry can be covered as well in my life by mad. And instead of covering or uncovering, those emotions lay covered up and never faced. It's not easy, is it? For us to look in the mirror, to look at that person in the mirror, look them in the eye, and ask what we're feeling. Ask ourselves, what are you feeling right now, in this moment? What have you tried to push aside, cover up, hide away? What could you do differently? These are hard questions, difficult ones. I, I, I know because in my own family I saw feelings oftentimes pushed away. Never once in my life did I see my dad cry. He came close one time. One time he did come close. It was April of 1989. He and I were attending the Regional Assembly of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Northern California at a, at a conference center named Asilomar. It's on the Monterey Peninsula. Some of you may have been there before. They host church groups and, and corporations, all kinds of folks. Beautiful, gorgeous setting. We'd had lunch together. The dining hall was beginning to clear out. My dad, at that point, had been two years clean and sober. He'd hit absolute rock bottom, but he had great colleagues in ministry, pastor friends of his, who sat with him in that terrible, awful, hard place, that honest place. And here he was two years later, healthier and stronger and fitter than I ever remember seeing him in my entire life. And our conversation was mostly lighthearted. We talked about some of the politics of the, of the day. Uh, there at the conference, there were different things being discussed, votes about to be taken, that sort of thing. We talked a little bit about our family, my, what my brothers and si my brother and my sisters were up to, all, all that kind of stuff. It was pretty surface level stuff, but it was great to reconnect with him. And then as most of the people had left the, the dining hall, he said, you know, I, I want to tell you something. And I could see his eyes glistening. I've wanted to say to your brother, and I will see him when he comes home, he was playing basketball for the University of Alaska, that your brother became a greater athlete than I could have ever imagined. And my dad, he was 6'3", was a great athlete in high school, college, was a swimmer, basketball player. And I want to tell you, and his eyes glistened more, you're only two years out of seminary, and I'm so impressed with your, your skill as a pastor. I thought he was about to cry. And then, literally, I remember that like it was yesterday, he, he physically shook himself. <laughs> he shook himself away, and he said, well, anyway, uh, do you think the Giants have a chance of making the World Series this year? <laughs> and that was the way for him to walk as close to that edge as he possibly could. And, 
and, and trust me, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with, with being a baseball fan or a basketball fan. But sometimes, sometimes, have you found it easier in your life to talk with your family about your busted brackets in the NCAA tournament than your broken faith or your broken heart? Sometimes it's easier, isn't it? Just not even pay attention. Just push them aside. Leave them away. But what if... In the spirit of these two words before us, Jesus wept. What if we had someone with whom we were safe, with whom we could cry, with whom we could share from the depths of our souls? Well, you know, Mr. Rogers can help us. Let's put his words up on the screen. Anything that's human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. Mr. Rogers is helping us think about two things. Number one, can you be that person for someone? If someone comes to you and they're ready to bear their soul, to open their heart, to open their mind, to trust in you, can you be that person who will sit there quietly enough to listen and then embrace them in their humanness? And by the same token, is there someone in your life that you might be able to trust, that you may be able to give your heart to, to stand with them, knowing that you'll both be stronger in that moment of vulnerability? Guys can take the words down. I know. I know that sometimes it's just easier to worry about the baseball season. Who's going to make the playoffs this year, the, the Reds or the, or the Guardians? By the way, it's the Guardians, just in case you're curious. But my friends, I have for you good news. Jesus wept. And it's a sign that God hurts with us, suffers with us, weeps with us. And that is the heart, that is the very beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God weeps.